How many of y'all like ice cream? Like ice cream? Got right here. This is what my pawpaw ordered every time we went to Baskin Robbins. No matter if they had 31 flavors, I'll just take vanilla. Pawpaw would say, anybody got it? Just, yours just like vanilla ice cream? Anybody in here? Just, I mean, we all kind of like vanilla. That's just where you start. So how many people like sprinkles? You like sprinkles on your vanilla ice cream? I mean, how does that look? How does that look? Does that look good? Do you know that's not chocolate, it's manure? <laughs> Tony Campalo said a long time ago, mixing religion and politics is like mixing ice cream and manure. It doesn't do much to the manure, but it sure does ruin the ice cream. <laughs> right? Anybody want the ice cream uh, now? I'm going to set it over here. Glenn will probably come get that or somebody or uh, one of our students will do it for $10. Um, <coughs> eat it, not take it. Eat it. Um, I fear that Christians in America have ruined the ice cream. And so my heart today to share with uh, us is about how followers of Jesus can deal with politics in a healthy way. And what better person to learn from than Jesus, right? What better person to learn from Jesus? Did you know Jesus had a conversation with the highest ranking political official in his region? He had a, the highest ranking politician. Christians often don't know how to handle uh, politics and faith or any of the topics that we have talked about uh, in this series because, frankly, guys like me have been afraid to talk about it. Guys in positions like mine don't want to touch on hot-button issues because we're afraid of what might come out of our mouths or what other people might say if we talk about it. And so it becomes an elephant in the room that we don't talk about inside the walls of the church, and yet outside the walls of the church, everyone's talking about it. And of course, this one isn't just an elephant in the room. It's a donkey in the room too, right? This isn't just one issue. It's an issue with two very seemingly diabolically opposed sides. And let's be honest, okay? When the church has stuck its toe into the waters of talking about politics, it's often not pretty, right? Because often churches take the side of the elephant or they take the side of the donkey. And that's why you get nervous when pastors say they're going to talk about politics. In fact, some of you are really nervous today Perhaps you came today just to see the fireworks, right? Just to see the fireworks. What's he going to say? What's it going to mean? What's this going to be all about? Maybe that's why you're tuning in. Maybe that's why you're watching. You've been hurt, perhaps, by what pastors have said or how churches have talked about politics. Maybe you even left a church long ago because of something that someone said that got too political. And that's why today... More than just saying we're going to talk about politics, I want to talk about how to talk about politics. Even how to think about politics. And I want you to know that I believe that the stakes of this are so high that if we get this wrong, we will hurt 
our ability to reach people far from God, especially the next generation. And parents and grandparents, I want you to know something. Our children and our grandchildren are watching. And they are watching how we talk about our aunts and uncles who vote differently than us. And they are watching how we talk about our brothers and sisters who think differently than us. And they are watching how we talk about candidates who see things differently than us. They are watching how we're talking about other people. So let me say something right up front so you'll just kind of know my heart and why I think this conversation is so important today, especially in an election year. I'm going to talk specifically to Christians today. So if you are a follower of Jesus, today's message is especially for you because what I want to talk about with you is how we as Christ followers are supposed to think about, talk about, um, and, and even act around the issue of politics. If you are not a follower of Jesus and you're kind of new to faith or you're new to church and maybe you just came today for the first time in a long time or you're tuning in, I want to say thank you. What I hope that you'll see is how Jesus dealt with a politician and how he modeled what our posture should be. So let me make something clear right up the front. I've just kind of tell you my heart. <clears throat> the church's mission is to change people, not policies. That's what we're all about. The church's mission is to change people, not policies. We are not in the political business. We are in the gospel business. That's what we do as a church. And I think when the church gets too political that we diminish our ability to share the gospel with people. We alienate half of the population when we pick a side politi politically, when we pick a side with a candidate. And you've probably all experienced this, that we hurt our voice. We hurt our influence over telling people what we really want to tell people. We're not in the politics. We, we hurt our ability to change people when we get too political. Listen, our mission is to tell people about a savior named Jesus who came and died for the sin of the world to forgive all of our trespasses and rose again three days later to give us victory over sin and death and the promise of eternal life. And we are called to make disciples in his name who are filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. That's what we do. <clears throat> Does, do all the Christians in the room agree with that? Do all the Christians in the room agree that the church hurts itself when it gets too political? Is there anybody in here or anybody watching online, you can just kind of type it into the chat to say like, no, man, I wish the church would get more political. All right. Are you sure? Because I have a question for you. Who is the church? Now, hold on a second. About 45 seconds ago, you all agreed with me that you said that the church hurts itself when it gets too political. Is the church what I say on this platform? Is the church what our official stance as Mountaintop is? Is the church 
what uh, an organization believes is the church, what a denominational stance is. Is that who the church is? You know the answer, right? You're the church. You're the church. You're the church. We are the church. So, we as an organization can be all about our mission. We as a church can have our posture right in the middle where it should be. We can be all about being gospel ministry people. But, but your friends who don't know Jesus don't know or don't care what I say or what our church's official stance is. All they know is what you say, what you post, and what you tweet. And in their eyes, you are the church. Check this out. In their eyes, you speak for Christians. Because you might be the only one they know. So today as we talk about what Jesus said and how he dealt with politics, we're really talking about then how the church should deal with it, but what we're really talking about, what we really mean is how you and I should deal with politics. I heard this quote a few weeks ago, and man, I thought about this day. It's from a pastor named Stuart Hall. He's a speaker at youth camps. He's been doing this for a couple of decades. I, I respect him a lot. And he said something. This is what he said. He said, I don't have to be right to have influence. You understand that, right? You can have bad influence. You ever had somebody that's had a bad influence over you? They weren't right. They just had influence. Maybe you worry about your teenagers who have somebody who's a bad influence over them. They're not right, but they have influence. You don't have to be right to have influence. But I cannot have influence if I have to be right. In other words, if I have to win every argument, then I'm going to lose influence. Right? If I have to win every argument, I'm going to lose influence with my nephew. I'm going to lose influence with my niece. I'm going to lose influence with my son or daughter. I might even lose influence with my spouse if I have to win every argument. You quit jobs where your boss feels like they have to win every argument, right? Because you make the decision, they don't get to have influence over me anymore. And then he says, if there is a right, or if my right is right, How do I influence someone toward that right when I don't have any influence? Christians believe we are right about something. We believe that Jesus is the only way. Gosh, we are so convicted about this that we believe that Jesus is the only answer and we have a mission from Jesus to go and make disciples of Jesus baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We believe we're so right about it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, can I ask you a question? Why would you forfeit your potential influence for that eternal mission for something as short-lived and short-sighted as a four-year election? Why? When it's going to be up again in four years, but eternity 
is forever. And your nephew or niece might stop listening to what you have to say about eternity because of what you have to say about four years. Don't let your political opinions for a candidate undermine your personal influence for Christ. Don't let the conversation around the Thanksgiving table or that post that you think is so funny or that online argument that you have to win undermine the influence that you could have for Christ. You might be right about the political issue, but if you have to win the argument, who cares if you lose the relationship and lose the potential influence for the right that matters forever? Is it worth it? A couple weeks ago, I was jogging in my neighborhood, and I saw a house with its, you know, political signs and yards. Nothing wrong with that. Whatever. And they had a sign of a candidate. And then beside it, they had a sign with the old Ghostbuster symbol. I don't know what that's called, but I call it the Ghostbuster symbol. That, you know, the X out, the cancel symbol. And it had that symbol with the name of the other party of the candidate. And as I was going this way, there was a woman walking or jogging this way, and she had stopped, and she had taken her phone out to take a picture. And I thought to myself, I wonder, what, I wonder why she's taking a picture. Does she think it's funny? Does she think it's cute? Or is she in that party? Does she feel like she's canceled? Does she feel like she doesn't count? Does she feel like her half of the entire American population doesn't matter and doesn't deserve a voice and doesn't even want that? They don't even want them there. And I thought, what if, what if she's their neighbor? What if she's not a believer and they say that they are and they've invited her to church and they put that sign in her yard, but she's in that sign. She's in that party. I wonder if they would tell her about Jesus, what she would think about Jesus. If she thinks she is canceled by Jesus. And I guess they thought it was funny putting that in their yard. I, I want to ask you a question in your heart of hearts before we dig into this story about Jesus. Do you want people to elect your candidate or encounter your Christ? Because you might not can do both. You might not can have both. Jesus, we're going to see, he wasn't very interested in mixing politics and spirituality. I think he knew it would ruin the ice cream. In fact, Jesus, for someone with a lot of power, he wasn't interested in politics at all. He had an entirely different mindset about an entirely different kind of movement, about an entirely different kind of thing, something that was much more eternal. And we see it in his conversation with a politician named Pontius Pilate. Pilate was prefect over the region of Judah. Prefect was kind of like a governor, but it was not an elected position. It was for sure a political position, but it was more of an appointed position. Judah was a low on the totem pole province. On the outskirts of the Roman Empire, this was not a dream job. This was a stepping stone job. 
Pilate had been a military ruler turned politician, and this might have been very well early in his career, and he was hoping that this would move him to a much better appointment in a much better region and a much higher political standing. The best thing Pilate could do is make sure there was no civil unrest, there was no uproar, and there was never any bad news that went from Judah to Rome because that meant he wasn't doing his job. He was just looking of how he could use it to climb the political ladder. And Jesus' tone with Pilate is kind of fascinating uh, because it shows a posture with Jesus in politics that ought to be the starting point for how we deal with the issue of politics in our day. This conversation is in the heat of the crucifixion story. Jesus has been arrested by the chief priest and all the Jewish officials, and he has been charged with a religious crime. Does anybody know what that crime was? It was blasphemy. He was charged with blasphemy because he had claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the true one of God sent from God, and they either A, didn't believe him, or B, didn't want to believe him. But the truth was, if Jesus was wrong about that, it was blasphemy. So in their eyes, Jesus was wrong. Now, Pilate and any Roman governor over any region, but especially in Judea, they had a very interesting relationship. They wanted the Jews to handle all of their religious stuff on their own. The last thing that they wanted to do was get involved in religious matters. But this situation takes an interesting turn because a religious matter becomes a civil and political matter. Because, do you know what the sentence is for blasphemy in Jewish law? Death. Execution. And see, there's a problem. Though they could, they could exact their Jewish law, they could not execute anyone. Only the state or the Roman Empire had the authority to actually execute someone. So they come to Pilate and they're like, hey, we got this uh, guy, he broke one of our laws. He's a blasphemer. And Pilate's like, judging by your own rules, I don't care. I don't want to get involved in your religious situations. And they say, well, hold on. You see, the sentence for this, the judgment for this, is that he should be executed and only you can do that, Pilate. And now all of a sudden, this religious law situation has become a civil situation. It has become a political situation and Pilate finds himself all tied up in it and Jesus finds himself with Pilate. After being interrogated all Thursday night, by the Jewish leaders and the chief priest, early on Friday morning, they drag him to Pilate's quarters. And this is what happens. It's found in John chapter 18, starting in verse 33. <clears throat> Pilate then went back inside the palace and he summoned Jesus and he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And I love Jesus. Jesus says, is, is that your own idea, Jesus asks, or did others talk to you about me? Jesus is kind of like, where'd you hear that? Where'd you come up with that, Pilate? Did you make that up yourself? If you, are you just repeating what other people have said? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? 
Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? So you can see there's this interesting thing going on. Pilate is trying to make this a political. He wants to put a political label on Jesus, and Jesus, he's not here for it. Jesus is like, I didn't say that. I didn't call myself a king. You said that. He said that. Did you learn it from you? He, did you get it from him? Did you come out of the, what did you, and you, Pilate's just exasperated. You can almost see that he's like, dude, what's wrong with you? Like, your people have handed you, what, what is it you have done? But I find that we're often a lot like Pilate. We want to put political labels on Jesus. Have you ever found that to be true? We say Jesus must be Republican because some Republican policies line up with this part of the Bible. Or Jesus must be Democrat because some Democratic policies line up with that part of the Bible. We're in an election year. Did y'all know that? <laughs> At home, did you know that? Both candidates will quote the Bible in the next two and a half months. They're not alone. Every candidate ever quotes the Bible. But what Jesus says next ought to rot the world of every Christian who ever tries to politicize Jesus, and we're all guilty of it. Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Hey, Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If you want Jesus to get involved with the kingdoms of this world, friends, I have some news for you. His kingdom is not of this world. And he wasn't interested then, and I'm not sure he's too interested now. In fact, there's something very fascinating about this conversation. Jesus says, hey, Pilate, if, if I wanted to, my servants would have fought to prevent, and you know Pilate's probably like there, like you're talking about your disciples, Jesus? Jesus is like, no, no, Pilate, keep up. My kingdom is not of this world. These they're not really my servants. In fact, Matthew writes when Jesus was arrested, just a few hours before, just that Thursday night before, one of his disciples, some of you may know this story, but if you're new to church and new to the Bible, you don't know, one of his disciples pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers arresting Jesus. And Jesus is like, put the sword down. And Jesus says this when he's arrested, don't you know that I could have called on my heavenly father to send 12 legions of angels to protect me. Do you know what a legion is? 6,000 soldiers. Now, you know, math's not my first language, but 12 times 6,000 is what? 72,000. All right, now, so do you not know that I could have called 72,000? 
thousand angels. Now, let me tell you about angels. There's a story in the Old Testament where one angel comes down and fights one of God's enemy armies and kills 185,000 men in one night. So what Jesus says is, I could have invited 72,000 angels at this moment who are all 185,000 killing war machines if I wanted to not be arrested pilot. If I wanted your job, I'd have it. If I wanted your boss's job, I'd have it. If and if I wanted Caesar's seat, pilot, I'd have it. But church... We do not believe that the solution for this world is a candidate from a party, is a policy from a platform, or is an agenda from an ideology. We believe that the solution for this world is a savior from another world. That's what we believe. That's what he said. That's what he did. A savior from another world. So if I could just implore you, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm not telling you not to have political opinions or not to have political convictions and ideas. Here's what I just would want to just tell you. Hold Jesus tightly and politics lightly because our primary allegiance is to a kingdom not of this world. Hold Jesus tightly. Hold, I'm not telling you you can't hold it. Just hold it lightly. And Jesus goes on in this conversation. He says, Why? He says, why? This is what he says. Pilate says, you are a king then. He can't help it, right? So you are a king, said Pilate. Jesus said, dude, whatever. You say that I'm a king. Whatever. Whatever makes you happy. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world, Pilate, is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate, I did not come to hold political office. I did not come even to be a king here on this earth. My kingdom is from another world. I came to show people what the truth looks like. You see, no party holds the truth. Rome doesn't hold the truth. Washington doesn't hold the truth. I hold the truth. In fact, another time Jesus said to his disciples, hey guys, I just want you to know something. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am in it. And no matter what party you belong to, if you listen to me, then you are listening to truth. And then Pilate says something that underscores the tension between politics and faith. Because as if you, I mean, if you've been watching politics for a long time, uh, politicians and truth have an interesting relationship. Right? Can we just be honest? I, I got politician friends. Because this is what Pilate answers. <clears throat> um, what's truth? Retorted Pilate. Truth. <laughs> Jesus, I'm a politician. I'm just trying to climb the ladder. I, what's truth? Because what Pilate is telling us is what is, what is understood by all of us, but we don't often want to admit. Here's the thing about political truth. You think you're right, otherwise you'd think differently. You might be wrong, and right might change right? You think you're right. You believe passionately about it. Here's the problem. You might be wrong or right might change. In fact, 
If you would just, whatever party you're a part of right now that you identify with, if you would go back and look, I'll bet that you would find that your party has changed positions on key things that you think right now are right, but they used to think differently. Because right changed, or they decided that right was wrong. There was a time in our country when politicians thought it was right that African Americans couldn't eat at the same restaurants as white people. There was a time in our country when politicians thought it was right that women shouldn't vote. There was a time in our country when politicians that thought it was right that you could discriminate against someone if they had a disability. But we all decided and we would all now agree that they were wrong. And right changed because we figured out what was righter. So hold it lightly. Hold it lightly. Truth Truth to Pilate, it's a moving target. Don't you think our world needs a truth that never changes? And you'll see it in the conclusion. With this, he, Pilate, went out again to the Jews gathered there. Remember, he's got this crowd. And he says, I find no basis for a charge against him. He basically says, I think the right thing to do is that you should not press charges. I don't think anything's wrong with him. But, what do you guys think's right? <clears throat> what will make you not send letters to Rome? But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the Passover. I've got, now he's one of the prisoners, one of many. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. And now Barabbas had had a part in an uprising. You see, sometimes politically right is just what was popular at the moment. I remember my first experience with the politics of the majority. It was my first election in middle school, and I lost president of the school council <clears throat> and I was so dejected and I came home and uh, my daddy could tell I was down and I'll never forget him sitting on the bedside with me there and I was just like daddy I gave a really good speech I had a good platform better school lunches <laughs> I should have won and my daddy said something really profound for a middle school election. He said, Carter, remember that the majority isn't always right because the majority crucified Christ. Right there. They voted. Jesus lost that election. Hold Jesus tightly and politics lightly because our primary allegiance is to a kingdom not of this world. Hold it tightly because what is in this hand is going to shift and change and, and people are going to get new ideas and our culture is going to change and we're going to discover new things. But hold this tightly and let this always inform what is in this hand. Because if you ever start loosening your grip on Jesus and tightening it on partisan political platforms and you let this one impose its will and ideologies on Jesus, then it sure is going to ruin the ice cream. 
If you are a follower of Jesus, your political preference cannot be the defining characteristic of who you are or you are going to alienate half the people whom God has called you to share the gospel of truth with. And they matter for eternity. No party holds the truth. Jesus holds the truth. <clears throat> I know a lot of people, they're really worried about this election. Really worried. I, I hear some of the things that people say, gosh, I mean, this is just like everything hinges on this election, like the future of everything hinges on this election. Both sides, it's coming from both sides. And can I just encourage you and admonish you today with something, church? Eternity and the kingdom of God and the fate of the universe does not hang in the balance on Capitol Hill on election Tuesday. Eternity and the kingdom of God and the fate of the universe hung on a cross on a hill called Golgotha on the first Good Friday. And let me tell you about that day. Jesus lost on purpose because he was playing an entirely different game with entirely different rules. He wasn't trying to win the day. He was trying to win you. And Satan had no idea that there was going to be a runoff on Easter Sunday. He had no idea. He didn't see it coming. And Jesus claimed a victory that will last for eternity. So friends, we got a lot to vote for this November, and I hope you'll vote, but I just know this, whether it's a president or a senator or local officials, I know this about every single one of them. Ain't none of them gonna rise from the dead. All right? So this world does not need another candidate to save the day. We need a savior from another world. Do your friends, do people know which kingdom holds your allegiance? A few weeks ago, I quoted Dr. Billy, Dr. Billy Graham, a message that I began to think about when I thought about this passage and all these fears that a lot of us have in this election season. And uh, I thought we'd close out today by letting Dr. Graham share it the way only he could. Habakkuk said, Lord, please tell me what you're doing. And God said, no, I'm not going to tell you, Habakkuk, because if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. If God today told us what he's doing in the world, we wouldn't believe it. Don't you think God's given up and God's abdicated and God's left the throne? He hasn't. He's still on the throne. And those of us that know him put our trust in him and him alone. I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in myself. I don't put trust in my money. 
I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When all the rest of it fails and crumbles and shatters, he'll be there.